Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for joining us and welcome to another edition of Answers Network. I'm your host, Alan Cardoza. For those of you that have been listening, sending in questions and comments, thank you so much. And please continue to help spread the word that every Monday from 11 a.m. to noon Pacific time, this show will bring on special guests that can inspire, educate, and in some cases entertain, while bringing answers and options to making our lives happier, healthier, and more successful. Now, I'd really appreciate it if you could all do me a big favor. Please forward one of our shows to your social media group and to someone you know who can benefit from a particular subject. This is one powerful way that we can make a positive influence in the world together. Now, our <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest because this is a little bit different uh, than, than many of our shows. But I got to tell you, I've been so excited about reading, uh, reading her work. Um, so our guest's first novel is called Who Needs Paris? And it was called one of the best indie books in 2023 by Kirkus Reviews, a prestigious literary magazine. Joan Meyerson's career was spent as an award-winning writer, director, and producer of documentaries and television programs including the PBS National Memorial Day concert, for which she won two Writers Guild of America awards. The dynamic accounts that she wrote about vets and military families reconfirmed her belief that the best stories came from real life, a belief she has followed in writing such varied programs as Zoo Life with Jack Hanna and Children of Japan for Disney. Now, having told the stories of others, she now tells one of her own in Who Needs Paris, inspired by the, the, uh, the times that she herself lived there. Now, as someone who grew up in the 60s, although there are some, my children for starters, that would question the term grew up in relation to me, I found this novel to be sexy, fun, and as much a testament to the current affairs of life in the 70s in the US, as well as a rich page-turning account of Paris in the 60s and 70s. Now, I was glad to hear that Joan is busy finding more stories uh, in her Valley Forge uh, neighborhood, which would be Los Angeles to those of you that don't live in Southern California. Joan, welcome to Answers Network. Thank you, Alan, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, and by the way, it is Valley Village, we don't. We haven't quite made the forge part yet. We're not. Oh, forge. did I say forge? And you know what? I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I was. Yeah, I was off in yeah, another. The valley, the San Fernando Valley. That's yes, but North but Hollywood. And, and 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 I know Valley Village, and I know a lot of people don't know. And and actually, a, a dear friend, a, a, an actor, uh, lived there for many years, and um, so I used to visit him there. So. Yeah, but anyway, but before we get started now, I want to share an observation that I made about your book, uh, Who Needs Paris? Um, but first, to put it in context, I have to tell a little story about myself that few people know. The first script that I wrote, which was about 15 years ago, was with a writer who had wrote for Disney in the 70s and 80s. Um, 
now I shared the script with a friend who had produced plays and a TV show uh, who also has autism, which kind of means he doesn't have a filter. Uh, his response was, great concept, big problem. It obviously was written by two old white guys who do not understand the dialogue of today's young people. Wow. <laughs> that hit me. But I loved it. I was so thankful that knowing that he is incredibly truthful. Um, but I learned something. Um, you know, I learned how important that was. And I learned I needed a lot more work on writing. But I bring this up because I found that Who Needs Paris to be so well written on so many levels and that jumping between multiple countries and time periods, I found the dialogue to brilliantly fit each to a T. So I just wanted to share that with you before we go into questions because th that was one of my observations. Thank you, thank you. That's really sweet of you to say. And uh, it, I don't know, um, it, it is true that, that it took me a little while to get there. I think I had to really realize too, uh, Every, each chapter, you know, when you start with the chapter and you end with the chapter, you want to bring that person right back into it so they don't get confused. I mean, we would have at the top of the chapter what year it was. But most, a lot of readers, when you're reading, you know, you don't, don't look at that at the top. So right. I always tried to make sure that the, that the chapter before would end with a little bit of a cliffhanger, mm -hmm. but a cliffhanger that would lead into what the next chapter would be, even though it was 13 years later, but there would be some kind of reference back to it. And so the reader could just slip right back into that back, into the, the old part, the old part, <laughs> the yeah. 60s well, part. I, as I was saying, you know, as a fellow baby boomer, um, there's terminology that's used that I just felt at home. I was like, yes, that's exactly how we spoke then. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, some things never leave you, right? You know. Exactly. Well, it was it was a good reminder. Uh, <laughs> How we spoke. Yeah. Well, yeah. also one of the one of the things that helped me, I must admit, is that I'm a, a sort of a pack rat, and um, starting at the time I was very young, I had a big box. I would I would get a letter from somebody or a postcard or a, a diploma, you know, from my junior high school or when I ran for election in high school, I'd have a little poster. And, you know, there were things was hard to throw away. And so I would just toss it into a box and there it would sit for years and years and years. And so when I'm trying to go back to 1964 and even 1977, I started going through this box and I found letters that I had written to friends and friends had written to me and various things that, that took me right back to those times. And so that, that really helped, was really helpful. So even though people say, don't be a pack rack, I think there's some, some benefits to it. Well, in, in, in this case, I think it certainly helped. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, well, let's, let, let's talk about the book. And I think the best way to start is, you know, what was your inspiration with doing all of the things that you were doing that, that you thought, okay, I'm now going to write a novel or or was was writing who needs paris for you sort of a way of maybe sorting out your own past well you know you you kind of and i say could say you hit the nail on the head but there's two nails here because both are true both are true um i think both of those as i live those periods in the 60s and then again in the 70s they were both at the time was sort of monumental to me. They really did make a difference mm -hmm. in my life. And uh, there were journals that I had written about them as sort of diaries, you know, that again would in that, went in that big box. <laughs> and I uh, kept thinking about how, you know, it, it was a good story, you know, it was not mm -hmm. just my life, but it was a good story. And uh, especially the one in the 60s before I went to, before I did the 70s. And I did try writing a short story at that time about the 60s, but I wasn't uh, proficient enough. I don't think I was at that time. I was just learning how to make documentaries. And, and it just, anyway, it ended up going in my drawer and didn't really do anything about it. And then the 70s happened. And that was, I said, was a monumental time in my life too. And, um, but I continued working uh, in documentaries or doing other things. I even wrote some animation, uh, uh, 
from animated series and uh, children's pilot called the magic land of, of Zoe, where you don't go with, when you don't go to Oz, you go to Zoe. <laughs> and, um, and then the National Memorial Day concert, you know, so the more that I was doing these things, the more I was talking to people and getting their stories. And um, there came a time when I thought, what is it going to be the next stage of my life? And um, I realized that I've been telling stories of other people and loving doing that. But I had stories of my own to tell, too. And I didn't know, though, should I do a, a novel? I felt like I wanted to just try a novel. I never had done that before. And But should I, should I do the novel on the 60s or should I do the novel on the 70s? Both had interesting things. You know? The 70s were brighter and lighter and sexier, maybe you might say, but mm -hmm. um, uh, and show busy. And uh, but the 60s had their own, you know, interesting time. And 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 also it was a time for for uh, my character, Kate, who had gone, to, you know, gone through a love affair and then had a traumatic time and so on. And I but I just didn't know which one to do. And then it suddenly occurred to me that one could not happen without the other. You know, right. the, the, as Shakespeare said, the past is prologue. And the only way you could really understand what happened in the 70s is what happened in the 60s or what or what happened in the 60s was so relevant to her that it had to be dealt with in the 70s and so that's what how i decided to do it that it was something that i should do and as you said uh as time went on and i was writing i hadn't thought about it at the time but as time went on and i was writing all these stories uh that were inspired by real life uh i found sometimes you know when there had been a crisis in my life and I had to, to be realistic about it or emotional about it, I, you know, sometimes I just, I might make it turn out the way I wanted it to have turned out instead of the way it really did. So, so um, it turned out that was the therapy part, you know, where I had right. to finally face some of the things that have been difficult for me and, uh, and find a way out of them. And it was the best there, you know, really, really was the best therapy I've ever had. Well, I, I, I love the way that you did it, and I love the jumping back and forth. And I think if you would have done it chronologically, um, uh, I don't think that it would have been as captivating. We wouldn't have still been, because with each chapter, you know, I'm, I'm now going back into that. But because it jumps back, I don't forget what's happened in the prior one. So mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of as if I'm enjoying two stories at once, but I'm also seeing how they blend. Right. So. Anyway, yeah. I, I've enjoyed it. Now, oh. one of the questions that I had in my mind while I was reading it was um, the uh, the initial, uh, the beginning the in the 70s with the, I guess, um, the sex documentary mm -hmm. um, that, that Kate is dealing with. Mm -hmm. How close is that to something that you <laughs> had to deal with? Oh God! Well, I have to admit, <laughs> it was true. It's true. I mean, how could anyone even have thought about that? <laughs> would well, you, it would take the wildest dreams. Would you ever, you know, made that up? You know, it's just. <laughs> so that was kind of my thought as I was reading it. I'm going, you, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and I don't know, I guess because that was something that really stuck in my mind. I mean, I and and there was a producer, a French a French film director that that I did, had freelance for, you know, and uh, we had done lots of different things, and he, uh, you know, some things were kind of fun, but this was uh, this one was <laughs> went a little further out than some of the other ones. One of the things he had done was that we, we uh, covered the Chippendale dancers. Do you remember mm -hmm. them? You know, that was, that was a new thing in the seventies and we did that. And there was, he found a place where there was a, uh, an apartment building that was all for nudists, you know, so that <laughs> cover that. And there, I mean, there were, he, that's who he was. He was French. What, what can I say? <laughs> But um, yeah, so he uh, he 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 had a little more fun with that one. But but it was true. Yes, it was it was true. And I found myself caught up in this whole thing. I just thought, like like I said, I felt like I'd fallen down the rabbit hole. You know, how could this? Be? Well, I I think we're going to find that um, we may have crossed paths 
at some point in time in real life, uh, mm -hmm. because as you're talking about that, um, when I was just coming up and, and starting as a uh, as a young detective, mm -hmm. um, someone who is one of my best friends in the world uh, to this day, but at that time was a, a, an investigator who also was working in Hollywood. He was producing a documentary on Chippendales. Huh? <laughs> so <laughs> maybe was, you were there the night we were there. <laughs> I was going to say he he had a trailer there. Uh, while they were shooting, and and he had a lot of wild stories about what was going on. Uh huh. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. It's a, it's interesting. But I also, I guess, I, I think you are too, um, a curious soul. I mean, I I yes. always learn about everything, and uh, so even if it's uh, it's really kind of strange and weird, you know, I think well, whenever I'm going to ever have a chance to really see this again or learn about this, and so. You kind of put on maybe that comes from making documentaries. I don't know. You 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 want to observe. Well, I I think another thing that comes from making documentaries that um, you're not only telling a story, but um, you're also educating, and and I think that maybe that comes from that as well because what I noticed was, and you know that for instance, okay in. Um, you know, in the book, you, you, you bring to light choices that you made in your life um, and, and, and how that affected you at other parts in your life right. and stuff. So, so you know, what could you tell uh, listeners or young people about, you know, the choices that you made uh, when you were younger and how it later affected your life? Yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough one. How, how do you do that? And I think there are some people that don't think about that that much. They just mm -hmm. just forge ahead, you know, and, and they make the last minute decisions or something. I'm one of those people, unfortunately, that always, you know, look at whatever I have, whatever choice I have, and then try and figure out the best choice. I remember even in college, you know, what course am I going to take next semester? Like as if my life depended upon it, would, would it be better to take the, you know, the course of the history of, of the British empire or uh, modern day American history, whatever it was, you know, what would, what would be the worst? Because somehow that was going to affect the rest of my life. But then finally you just had to make a decision, you know? And so that's, then, other, then later on, it's some things would just fall in, in my pathway, and I would know that that's the right thing to do. But when you're young, you don't always know that, and you have to make a decision. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it works, and sometimes it's not. But then sometimes years go by, and you you look back. I look back on my life now, and I can say, you know, all the, all those things that happen all together they turned out to be the best thing that I could have done. You know, there was no other choice really that would, would have been better. You know? So, yeah. But what I, what I'm saying is, is that through Kate, I think you, you know, by, by talking about the choices and then showing how they affected uh, in the short term uh, and, and how they affected 13 years later, that's right. it, it, it provides an educational component um, so as I'm reading it, as I said earlier, I'm reading it as, you know, as a baby boomer and, uh -huh. and I'm feeling like, oh yeah, I remember that and stuff, but I'm also seeing how a younger reader can be reading this and go, oh, see how that now that. created something else that happened 13 years later. That's right. You know? yeah, that's, so, right. that's right. So, so anyway, that's so that's why I'm saying it, it, it. There, there's so much more, and I'm wondering if that comes from the fact of, of having written documentaries. You, it's about educating people as well as entertaining or providing, you know, more information. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, I think so. I, it's it, it it is difficult to know what choice to make, and sometimes you just have to go with it. And sometimes sometimes there are consequences that you have to then uh, resolve, you know. And I think. In this instance, that's what Kate has to do, because she makes a decision based on something she didn't really want to to have to make that decision, and and somehow she's unable to 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 come to a resolution with it. She tries to bury it, wants to ignore it, 
wants to just go on with their life and not think about it. And yet it's still there, it's still festering. And at some point she realizes that this is something I have to deal with to move on. And that probably happens for a lot of people, I would think, you know, if, it, if it's a traumatic thing that happens. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my friends read the book and uh, she asked, she, she never really said about what it was that, that had bothered her, that was traumatic to her. But she ended this her her review of the book by saying that it was better therapy than any therapist she'd gone to. So, so just reading about that, I think, is is an interesting thing for young people to mm-hmm. see that process that goes along and what can happen if you bury it or if you're ashamed of it or if you're afraid to to tell anyone else or thinking somebody will think badly of you or whatever it is. That Kate has to learn that she that she is herself, you know, and that uh, that's, that's who she is. And she doesn't, and she doesn't have to be ashamed of it. She doesn't have to be afraid of it. She can go on with it and be positive about her life and, and learn from it. You know, I think that's what happens. Um, has anybody talked to you about turning it into a screenplay? Uh, yes, yes, yes. I'm hoping I could, so. As I was reading it, I could see that. I mean, I could feel that. Yeah, yeah. Well, my, yeah, I've I've been told that a lot, you know. And it, to, well, when I write, though, I feel like I'm watching a movie. You know, I write as if I'm watching a movie, and that's how I describe it. And I think that's how it turned out. Yeah. So, I'm hoping. I actually uh, had been told first while I was still uh, trying to find publishing for it that I should do a um, that it would be great as a limited series. And so I have a pilot already script and I have a proposal. So if anyone's interested out there, please get in touch. <laughs> Any well, first, out there now, now, first, they, they need to read the book so that they can see yeah. who the characters are. That's right. And, and, and get a good feel for it. And yeah, I think that would be great. I, yeah, I had that same feel. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, about Paris itself. Uh-huh. Um, and it's interesting, I, you know, I, I saw a, a movie uh, that some friends were in, and I, I wrote about it, and I and I put it out. There, I published it um, just as, you know, a, a review type of thing, mm-hmm. and I referred to it as it was a love letter to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and what it made me think of was this was kind of like a love letter to Paris or a, a love letter of Paris uh, in the past. Mm-hmm. So. Because it seemed like, I mean, you, you, you brought Paris to life, you know, with, with your descriptions. Um, but this was Paris in the '60s and '70s. How easy was it for you to recall these times? Um, is most of your your descriptions is this from memory? Did you did you have to go back and Google Paris in in the '60s and '70s to 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 refresh your memory? How did this work? Uh huh. Well, some of some of both, I think. I did I did Google things just to get specifics, uh, to make sure that that was right. Like in terms of how much did it cost to to buy a hot dog in Paris, <laughs> and you won't believe it. Or how much you know? What was our rent? What when I went with a girlfriend at first? You know, what did we pay the hotel? Room? Oh, she actually yes, she, I, I, she, she had that she had written to her parents and had saved that letter, so I knew how much you know it cost every night. Yes. Two dollars and fifty cents, something like that. Yeah, I know that was one of the things that struck me as well. Of you know, it just kind of reminded me. Then, I, then I started thinking about the inflation and everything yeah. else. But. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, again, again, there were things that were uh, well. Just how did I first fall? Somebody asked me how did I first fall in love with Paris, and and one of the things I found in my box of letters was a letter I'd written to a friend. Uh, and uh, I had just, I guess I was starting in the summertime, summer school there. And I wrote to her that I had, uh, I had just come out of the Metro, come out of the Metro to Concord, which is this very busy place, if you know Paris, where cars are going every which way. And mm-hmm. there's the, all these beautiful buildings surrounding it. And you can see the bridge and the Seine and the Eiffel Tower right next to it. And it just hit me because I had been wandering around that day, I guess, not knowing what to do with myself. And uh, it just hit me. I was in Paris. 
what you dream about all your life. And if you've seen the movie Gigi or you've seen mm -hmm. the movie Breathless or you've seen, you know, all these movies, right. you, you dream about it. And all of a sudden it hit me. I was there and it's just, it's, it was just magical. And how to describe it is difficult, but it was the cars going every which way, as I said, the policemen in their little caps that back in the 60s that they wore with the capes and directing traffic and, uh, the, you know, these beautiful buildings that had been built in the 19th century that all look so harmonious. Uh, and, and you can't really say specifically what it was, but it was just captivating. And, and but there I was and I didn't, I, I was there and I wanted to immerse myself in it. I wanted to be there, but then how did I do that? What did I do? And then from there, you just kind of naturally begin to, to believe that you're actually living there. But, um, I, you know, it is, I think that it is something magical because each time I've gone back, I, I get back there and I feel that same kind of little shiver, you know, when I see the Eiffel mm -hmm. Tower and I'm walking down the streets or saying, bonjour, madame, merci, madame, and you're going to shop, you know, <laughs> all of those little things. How do you describe it? It's just, I think maybe it is magic. I, I, I don't know if it's something specific or not. Well, I, uh, I'm one of those. I like I like coming of age type of things, or kind of a fish out of water type of things. If I'm if I'm reading or I'm watching, and that's kind of the feeling that I get when you're talking when you're in the the chapters that are the '60s. Uh -huh. That you know, there's there's a coming of age and uh, a coming of age component, and at times a little bit of a fish out of water component too. Uh huh. That's you know, right. so so you know, for those things, and again, as for those of you that are listening or watching, um, I think we get to a time in which we we know what we like, and and those were the feelings, you know, that I was getting was yes, this is why I like this because I can, you know, I can read along and feel like I'm there. Uh huh. Uh huh. Did you feel those things uh, that that I was writing about? Yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah. what it's again. It's what. <clears throat> you know, um, since I've been doing this podcast, uh, a lot of my reading has shifted from um, from reading for fun, reading for entertainment, um, to reading for knowledge. You know, because I, you know, I, I would have a guest that is a, you know, a, a world-renowned psychiatrist talking about something, or a world-renowned doctor talking about something that's going to help us live longer. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, I think why I feel so great about this is, is that I was back to reading something that was so enjoyable. You know, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't only going after knowledge. I was, yeah. I was enjoying, I was, I was able to dive in and become part of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, you know, that was my, my goal with the beginning. Uh, although I, and I'm so glad that you're saying this as a male, because I thought maybe this novel would only be more interesting to women because it's about a woman. I don't know, but, but my, um, and I, that's why I'm so glad to, that, that it's, that it reaches, you know, all, all genres. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, that I had, my goal was to write something that I wanted to read, you know, that I wanted to have fun with reading. Oh. And, uh, and I, I used to call it a smart woman's beach read. That's what I wanted. Something that was fun that uh, was, you know, romantic, that was uh, humorous, that uh, was a little sexy, but mm -hmm. also it had some significance to it, you know, that all of a sudden you are in another world and some other things happen, you know, that, that Kate has to deal with. And, and that's life. What I wanted to write, you know, people say, what genre is it? They all say that about every every script you ever write, you know, what's your genre? Is it sci-fi? Is it young adult? Is it children's? Is it, what is it? Is it romance? And for me, it's really hard to, right. to classify it. Why can't you just say it's about life? That's what it is. <laughs> so that you know, that's that's what my goal was, and uh, I hope you know that, that. I think that's one of the things that maybe people would like. You know, because you can have fun, and then you also delve a little deeper into your souls about it. Well. We are speaking with award-winning writer Joan Meyerson, and we're talking about her first novel, Who Needs Paris? We're going to take a break. I want you to stay with us. 
You're listening to or you're watching Answers Network. Conflict International are experts at uncovering the truth. Our specialist team has decades of experience in providing a range of bespoke investigation and intelligence services to companies and individuals. Whether you need professional screening or background checks of employees, due diligence of potential clients or business partners, asset tracing services or surveillance, Conflict International has a rapid response team on hand to get you to the heart of the matter. Our key strength is in our global capabilities. We can tap into an extensive network of trusted professional investigators based in most jurisdictions worldwide, enabling us to go almost anywhere a case takes us. Conflict International has decades of experience with a diverse range of skills among our team developed from backgrounds in military and security intelligence services as well as practice lawyers. Visit our website today at conflictinternational.com to find out more about our services. That's conflictinternational.com. Global reach, local knowledge. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back. We are talking about writing. We're talking about Paris. And we're talking about life. Um, so, Joan, um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about Paris. Have you, have you been, other than the two times you lived there, have you been back just to visit? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, well, for a while, a long while, I, I didn't go back. Um, but then you start. I started going back. I had made, uh, in the 70s, uh, I made some friends there. Actually, actually, I had also made a friend back in the 60s. I had met her. I was with a girlfriend traveling, and um, we were in Greece, and we were at a youth hostel, and we met this lonely French girl who was there too. We ended up traveling with her. And, um, you know, 40 years later, however long it is, I, I still know her, still friends with her, which is nice. So I'd go visit her and then I, vis- then I visited some other uh, and stayed with some other, uh, another French woman that I had met um, that in the 70s. My friend and I, <clears throat> co-writer, we were in Club Med in Tahiti <laughs> doing a project. And we met her, I met her there. And so I would start going back and, and staying with and another American friend who's a painter lived there. So I would go back and stay for a couple of weeks and with, with them. And, and really, it was really great because you just, you felt like you were actually living in Paris. And so I, I did that. And um, um, uh, Well, yeah. while we're speaking about Paris, I'm curious. It, um, <clears throat> it would appear that, that uh, Patrice the character of Patrice that Kate knows uh, could be patterned after someone. Is it patterned after someone and do they know it? Uh, well, it's, it's true. I did, I, I, when I was making documentaries, someone recommended me to uh, the Patrice character because uh, he was is doing this series uh, called uh, Journal de Californie. And, um, it was, he had been a Vietnam, just as I have in the book, it's true. He had been a Vietnam uh, correspondent during the Vietnam War, even though he was French, but but I guess maybe he went back too when, when it was a French colony, you know, Vietnam. Um, and he would call me, you know, every few months, uh, maybe every six months, maybe every month, maybe every year, you know, you never knew when he would have a story that he wanted to to film. And it was true. He wanted, he felt that it was, you know, that California was the uh, place where all these new things were happening in the 70s and he wanted to show France what was going on. And so um, that, that's, that, that part was true. Um, I, and, and we remained friends too. I would visit him when, when I went to France and uh, um, he, uh, I did, of course, I developed the story a lot. You know, right. there was not, uh, there was not this girlfriend. There was not, you know, other things. Um, but uh, I took parts of his personality that that seemed to be right and uh, and followed through with them. And, ter- and also in terms of his experiences in Vietnam, why he had 
he didn't want to do anything about war anymore. He wanted he wanted to leave that. You know, it really right. had disturbed him that much. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, now, going back to Paris for a bit. Um, again, you obviously love Paris. You have fallen in love with Paris. Um, what do you think makes Paris so special? And do you think it's more or less special today or what it was 50 or 60 years ago? Yes, well, I get, I, you know, especially in its own way, I think, uh, you know, this, the 60s really were uh, a time when things were not quite so free. It was really a sort of a bourgeois existence, uh, you know, middle class, things had to be a certain way. And this is what how you ate, this is how you did things. And uh, there was a, you know, it was a very strong moral situation, even though, even though it was beginning to open up. I mean, you had, you had uh, like people like Sartre and Camus and all those intellectuals, you know, going forward with new thoughts. But for the main people, most of the people were more middle class, I guess, um, and were more afraid to to go out. And then by 1968, that the students were rebelling. In the 68, that became a big thing. Uh, just what happened in the United States. So, I I don't know. You know, I guess, it, however it is, Paris has some kind of a of an allure to it. I think you know whether it's whether it's because it's. It's got students running around and police chasing them, or uh, or else they're they're going to very fancy restaurants and eating wonderful food um, cuisine. Um, so I, I think you know each 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 era was different, but I found the '70s a lot more open and liberating and free, and for women especially too. I I when I was there in the '70s, I met a lot of. Uh, of women filmmakers, writers. I interviewed Agnes Varda, which was a, a, a great privilege to do in, in Paris. Um, and um, so that, that it was, it was it had become a lot, uh, a lot freer and a lot more, a lot more opportunity. And they, they really had washed all the buildings. You know, the buildings were dark in the sixties, covered with soot. And when I got there in the seventies, I actually saw them pressure. They were out there like scrubbing all the all the dirt off the off the buildings, and they were new again. and And I think that's part, was part of the charm and magic in the seventies because you had all these old buildings, but you and but you were living in them, so you could kind of transport yourself back to that time when they were new. Well. Again, as, as I'd mentioned earlier uh, to the audience or those that might have just uh, just joined us, um, you know, Joan is also an accomplished uh, a TV writer, uh, and especially in the documentary area. So now, having put your first novel out, um, which do you prefer? Uh -huh. the, the, do you prefer the TV, or or is you have the fiction bug now? Uh. Well, you know, I guess if you're presented when you're at a restaurant and you're presented with, do you want the, uh, you know, the ice cream or do you want, do you want the, uh, uh, the pie. upside down cake, you know? <laughs> and what I would say is, can I have a little of both, please? There you go. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I really, I, if someone came to me with this great documentary idea and wanted to do it, I would, I would love to do it, you know, but. But that, that has I haven't been out looking for it at the time. I think I was ready to do something different and new. And there is something about creating your own world out of your, you know, that that I think I love. So I would, if I ever had a chance. I mean, I've got a couple of proposals of documentaries that almost got made but didn't. And uh, if I ever had a chance to, I would love to do that if it was there. Uh, there's the one that I wanted to do on, um, it's about the legacy of, of animals. And I think it's getting more and more uh, important um, is, is to show that they, all, all of their emotions and to, and to what, what it was, was to uh, sort of um, show the humans and the animals, each one going through the stages of life and seeing the similarities to all of it. You know, what, how you raise a baby, your little lion cub, how 
what happens when the elephants become teenagers and they get drunk on, mm -hmm. <laughs> on eating the, the tree, uh, the fruit from the trees and uh, how do they deal with death? They, you know, they, I mean, there's so many things that are similar and we need to know that. And that's why we need to save our animals. Well, that's, it looks like a perfect fit for animal planet or discovery. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I like, you know, I just said yeah. uh, both, but I'll, I'll probably start with the, the, the nice thing about writing a novel is, is it just you and your computer. As long as your computer works, then you can keep going. You don't need I like it. Um, now, as I was kind of looking into, you know, the things that you've done, and I, yeah. I noticed that you also served on on the Writers Guild board. Uh -huh. um, so if you don't mind me changing the subject for a little yeah. bit, uh, I think anybody who knows anything about this industry knows that there was a... Uh, a strike going on for quite some time. Um, what would you say were the biggest obstacles in settling the recent uh, WGA strike and the SAG strike? Okay, you know what? This is sounds going to sound funny, but uh, I'm going to start with a quote that uh, I, I always use. And so um, if you know, in the 30s, there was a man named Irving Thalberg, who was a head of MGM production and also produced, mm -hmm. I think, some of his own movies. Um, and he, I mean, he did wonderful movies, but what he said was, uh, as I'm trying to look at the quote, because I want to say the right thing, you know, uh, let me see, I have notes here. I want to say, if I can say it exactly, I have so many pieces of paper here, just one minute. Ah, yeah. This is his quote, uh, back in the thirties. If, uh, if it isn't for the writing, we got nothing. Writers are the most important people in Hollywood, and we can never let them know it. So what the problem is, if you say, what is the biggest problem or what is the biggest change? Or the biggest uh, obstacle, you know. Is to, is to believe in yourself and to be able to unite together. Uh, so I was on the board in uh, the 2007-2008 strike. And uh, when I first started, uh, when I was first starting on the board, that was back in the early 2000s and even in the 90s, I think I was, I was in a term, um, I was on, on the board at that time. And I think writers were afraid. I think they, they believed some of this, that, that they could only get as much as they could get. And they were afraid to keep going. And they, you know, they didn't really uh, believe in themselves. And uh, I think... Uh, then when I got on in the 2000s, where I was with uh, some people, who and, and our president Patrick Barone, uh, who were much clearer on on what the goals should be and that we needed to unite and we needed to do all these things. Now, this is my own personal opinion. Everybody may have something different, but I could see that as I was living it, that um, that people were beginning to do that. And that, and then this year when I picketed along with them, I could see how clear everybody was. On, on supporting what they needed. And I think right. that finally, you know, you, you probably heard, you know, some of these, like the Disney head, Bob Iger saying, you know, what do these people want anyway, you know? <laughs> uh, they they felt that they they would be able to, you know, to stop it and, and, and feel, you know, say that we, you know, you're asking for too much, you're not being realistic. And meanwhile, they're making billions of dollars. And I think finally, uh, writers realized that that we are important and we need to be treated uh, equally and justly. Well, I like that. Um, you know, one of the things that that was interesting me because um, because it's something I didn't know that much about, but uh, AI seemed to be a huge issue in the strike negotiations. What's your thoughts on AI as we move forward? Oh, it's scary. <laughs> That's just my thought. It's very scary. And I don't really, you know, I did one quick little fun uh, attempt at it when I was, because my the title of my book, by the way, has had like four different titles in order to finally ended up with this one. And I was looking for a new title. And I, right at the time when people were beginning to play around with GPT, chat, chat GPT. So, mm -hmm. so I thought, all right, well, let me see what kind of title they can bring out. And, you know, it was all kind of a cliche titles and there was one or two that I thought well they might work okay and so I googled them and there were four or five books 
with the same title. So that's where AI had gotten their intelligence, you know? Mm -hmm. they, they, they Googled something, you know? You can do that too. So luckily I came up with my own title. Right. But uh, so I think there's still there's still a human element that they don't have and will never have. They could be a tool, just like using Google as a tool and or Wikipedia. You know, we all can get. We don't have to have so many books around. We can we can check out facts that way. But um, when it comes down to it, and and we need to have our own, you know, our own things. And uh, I just think. Uh, that is scary if they were to take over. I think it's not fair. It's not equal. It's and it's not, and it's not even good artistically. Well, and again, I agree with that as well. Um, I think my concern, because when I've discussed this with people, and, and a couple of times people have said, "Well, there's nothing to worry about. It's just an algorithm." Yeah. And I said, but the problem that I see is who's feeding the algorithm because they're feeding it as it as facts that's right and, which means that the whichever humans are controlling it at that point it's their fact and we're seeing with all of the um all of the things going on around the world there's a pretty wide stretch of what people believe is a fact or is a truth and Anyway, so that's but that's my concern. So I was curious because yeah. I know that they kept bringing up AI as one of the big issues. For yeah, it is. Well, also that. because 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 they could with AI, you know, potentially you can get rid of almost all those people, you know, and they're not going to get they're not going to they're it's, they're going to lose their jobs, and uh, and you're just going to end up with mediocre shows and mediocre right. actors and the actors. You know, it's a big big deal for the actors too. That's why they stayed on strike so long. So yeah. now I get, they do say you know you you have to get their permission, you have to pay them, you have to do this that. I hope I hope that's true. Well, I just a glance at the time, and I can't believe we have blown by. Uh, we've only got about two minutes. Um, oh. But without, without giving too much away, what's one way Kate's journey in Paris helps her find redemption and self-discovery? What's one way? What's one way? Uh, I think she, she, find, she has the freedom to realize that um, as, she's, as she's working uh, for this Patrice and she's like his associate producer, that she is actually doing the work. And as she, the longer she stays in Paris, the more she feels empowered to, uh, to do what she really wants to do and not be afraid of it. And uh, finally, uh, you know, after some of the interviews that she does at the Deauville Film Festival and she, she tries it out and she finds out that, yeah, you know what? I know how to do this and I can do this. And I'm a woman who wears Armani. <laughs> and everyone can read to find out what that means. <laughs> yes. And, but, but also that's such a great point because that's kind of what I was bringing up earlier when I was yeah. saying that I can envision um, younger women more in particular, but most anybody, um, but mostly younger women uh, reading this and growing with it and realizing at the same time that Kate is realizing and going, you know what, I can do this. And, and I can see them being able to get some self-discovery, which then would lead to some self-empowerment. That's right. That's right. You know, I think it is all in that, just like as I was talking about the writers who weren't believing in their power, um, the women have to do that. And, um, even if it doesn't succeed at the beginning, you know, it will. It will. And right. you know, I ran for Writers Guild president and I didn't win and I knew I wouldn't win. <laughs> but it was important to show that a woman was running, I thought, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's why I did it. Well, Joan, I got to tell you, thank you so much for coming on. But also thank you for writing this book. Uh, and again, you know, it, it sort of it, it's rejuvenated me in being able to read something uh, that that was so enjoyable on so many different levels. 
So I just want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Well, I hope other people will feel the same way and go out and take a look at it. You know, I think, I think it's it's a lot of fun, and it's also, as you say, uh, and that's what I'm so appreciative of that you really saw that you really saw that this this can help uh, all of us, not just not just women, but women, you know, because like Kate, who need to see that they that they are worth it and they don't have to be ashamed of whatever, you know, or feel that they're not. And, um, and, and then they can take the trip to Paris and enjoy it. Exactly. Now, uh, for everybody out there, again, the book, you can get the book anywhere books are sold. Um, Joan, if, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, especially that the person that's out there that wants to finance your next project, uh, <laughs> what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, I, Oh, first of all, I have a website. So yes. it's just Joan Meyerson. But remember, there's an E in Meyerson because a lot of people don't know that. J-O-A-N-M-E-Y-E-R-S-O-N dot com. And um, there's a lot of, uh, there's, it's, a fun, it's a fun website because it does have, uh, you can click on Paris and see lots of photographs. And also you can see some photographs of other jobs that I worked on, uh, especially the one that I am most honored to have is... Uh, from the Memorial Day concert, because I used to write Colin Powell's speech every year. And so this picture would be with Colin Powell. And um, and then uh, I did win an award. You can also click on this if you want to. Uh, I won an award from the Writers Guild for service. And um, unbeknownst to me, they videotape they videotape my, my speech. So you can watch, you can click on that. And you can, anyway, and also, but, but, but you, there's a little click, click that says contact me and you just write your name and what, you know, what you want to say, a little message, and that will come directly to me. Again, thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You're welcome. And for everybody out there, please be with us next week when we're joined by Lisa Barnett as she discusses her new book, Akashic, Your Soul Has a Plan. Now, if you're not familiar with this term, I suggest you Google it. And if you do, you won't want to miss this show. Please visit our archives of past interviews at answers.network or just subscribe to the show through YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, SoundCloud, Rumble, Spreaker, and so many other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, please leave a review. Helps us reach more people, and I want you to know I greatly appreciate it. The next time you're on Instagram, Facebook, or X, or Twitter, uh, please remember, stop by our page, check out some of our latest posts. If you like them, please like us and spread the word. So for everybody out there, be good human beings, and be with us again next week on Answers Network.